accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to our coverage of DS9. It's been a while. We had a Melora in the meantime, but it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a DS9 outside of that. Discovery wrapped up, and now we're moving on to the middle parts of Season 2 of uh, DS9. It's called Necessary Evil. The eighth episode of the second season, it aired back on the 14th of November 1993, written by Peter Allen Fields, directed by James L. Conway. In this episode, an attempt on Quark's life reopens a five-year-old murder investigation. Clay, welcome back to Deep Space Nine, the station you'll never forget. You can try to leave, but you can't leave forever or whatever that saying is. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I was really, uh, I was expecting some sort of, uh, judging by the stuff we've been watching lately, is I was expecting like Mirror Universe Odo to show up, but then to just disappear very quickly and never be brought up again. But they actually had some like uh, coherent story in this episode <laughs> of uh, Star Trek, so I was... <laughs> It's very nice to see that after the last 15 weeks or so, but uh, they do, I, it was good. They do go to uh, the Mirror Universe in the, in the later second the second season, the couple uh, one of the later episodes of this show. Just so you know, they are going to the oh, Mirror I, Universe. I, I know, I'm aware, and I'm looking forward to that, because yep. I feel like that's going to actually feel like the Mirror Universe instead <laughs> of like... Uh, a writer's room collectively shrugging. Uh, uh, you guys can tune in soon. We'll, me and Clay will be talking with Trek Expertise about debating Discovery. So we'll get off that horse for now. But we are going to take a break. We're going to play a clip. And me and Clay are going to come back and break down Necessary Evil. Commence station security log. Stardate 47282.5. At the request of Commander Sisko, I will hereafter be recording a daily log of law enforcement affairs. The reason for this exercise is beyond my comprehension, except perhaps that humans have a compulsion to keep records and lists and files. So many, in fact, that they have to invent new ways to store them microscopically. Otherwise, their records would overrun all known civilization. My own very adequate memory not being good enough for Starfleet, I am pleased to put my voice to this official record of this day. Everything's under control. End log. All right, Clay. So we're back with DS9 and everything like that. I think that this episode has firmly entrenched one thing in my mind. It's that Peter Allen Fields might be my favorite Star Trek writer uh, of all time. What else has he run? What else has he written? He did The Inner Light. He did uh, Duet, which we just watched. He did Half a Life for TNG. He's got a couple more of DS9 episodes, but those are the big ones that we would know. Uh, du- mm-hmm. Duet being the most recent one that we did. Peter Allen Fields is, if you if we want to just compare one last thing for Discovery and how Discovery doesn't sort of match up to older Trek, sort of even saying that unemotionally, like if we're not going to ex- explore what that means or whether we think it's good or bad, Peter Allen Fields understands that when writing for Star Trek, knowing the characters is very important. Um, so like he all of a lesson a lesson not exclusive to just writing star trek one might say it's an applicable lesson to writing any fiction any fiction yes i I think i unless you're yes except except for maybe there's a couple exceptions where that's not very important but in the most part 99 percent of the time knowing the characters is very very important Mm. this episode is all about knowing the characters and getting to know the characters on a level that 
feels very much of the era of Trek that's going on. But just to get out of the way, I, I love this episode. I think it's a very, very strong episode of Star Trek and an episode of DS9. It's the show really sort of getting into the groove of what this show does well that TNG would never particularly try to do or it never did particularly well. Um, it does the thing where it's got the genre bending that we like in in Star mm-hmm. Trek, where it, it, this one is a film noir takeoff, basically. Uh, it's good character. At first, at first, I thought it was going to be quark noir, but then it was uh, <laughs> right. ended up being it ended up being odo noir, which is my favorite kind of uh, perfume scent. <laughs> and if uh, and I think that it's a it's an episode that's really well written. Peter Allen Fields does a great job. It feels grounded in the characters. Everything here makes sense and all that stuff. But I don't know. What, what did you think of Necessary Evil? Uh, I thought it was good. Yeah, um, I was surprised at how into the backstory stuff I was. Um, And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, yeah, I think it it comes from an understanding of the characters because when they start going to flashback, the minute Odo steps on screen, I was in. Because the way that they play him, the way that he's written is a way that he's never appeared before. He's yeah. he's much more like a subjugated sort of person. He's he's very hesitant in a way that yeah. future Odo is not. Yeah. Yeah, he's very he's generally very uh um assertive and and uh headstrong. And to see him not that way just kinda caught me off guard. Because um, usually when they do this kind of stuff, the the hackier way to do it is it's just the same character. It was just like it's a filter over he's, the Yeah, he's the, got a different the, hairstyle or something. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they went out of their way to actually think about where he came from and think about the situation and play into the and actually exploit the fact that the Cardassians running the the uh, station is a very different atmosphere than uh, the Federation, which I appreciated because that's I mean, it's, I don't know if they've flashbacked or done anything like that since then. But this is the first time I've seen what the station was like under Cardassian rule. This is the very first and, episode that does that. You haven't missed it. Oh, it is. It. Okay. Yeah. Um, and even though they only give you a little bit, I thought it was, I thought it went a long way. Yeah. I think that the, um, and just to, to uh, the writing is a lot of this episode. I think the performances are pretty good too, but I, I wanted to talk about, we've been talking on Discovery, how much we missed the, uh, the logs that go on. Yeah. Uh, this might have my very most fav- uh, favorite captain's or log sort of thing i'll just read it really quickly um command station security log start a 47282.5 at the request of commander cisco i will hereafter be recording a daily log of law enforcement affairs the reason for this exercise is beyond my comprehension except perhaps that humans have a compulsion to keep records and listen files so many in fact that they have to invent new ways to store them microscopically otherwise the records would overrun all known civilization my own very adequate memory not being good enough for starfleet i am pleased to put my voice to this official record of the day Everything's under control and log, which is a, which is a, that is a very Odo log. You know, like yeah. the, the, we miss the logs because it's a chance to explain not only the setup for the episode, but you get, you get a chance to look at the character about it. Like Odo's mm. log is everything's fine. That's all I need to say about this and go on about my day. It's something that I, I think I really miss. And I think that this episode does a good job of, um, using the log in an effective way to sort of give you a understanding of where you are and to give you a little bit of insight into what Odo's up to at this point. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a use of the log that I don't really think is, is common because generally, generally the log isn't 
an avenue, at least at least from what I've seen anyway. It, it doesn't feel like much of an avenue in, into the uh, the mind of the character who's who's saying it. Because I mean, generally, it's usually the captain, and it's it. There's not a lot of subjectivity in there. Sometimes there is, but generally not. And any time, any time that they switch characters, like if it was Riker doing it or something, it's still not a ton of subjectivity. So to actually see it used as, as uh, or written specifically for the character and almost more of an inner monologue, I thought was great and actually works really well given the genre that they're playing with because the voiceover is a uh, a tradition a uh, long standing tradition of like the detective story film noir thing yeah. so to replace the voiceover narration with the with the uh, the captain's log or or just the log entry i thought was a, a great way to uh, to blend those two things together did you what would you think of how they blended noir into this star trek story um i thought it was good but i thought it was a little bit undercooked um I th- I found I really liked the way that the mystery in the present was serving the backstory, um, and so the backstory was actually the thing that was was the focus of the episode and the important part of the episode, not the really the who done it. But at the same time, the way they wrap it up at the end is is pretty weak. I think um, just just having having Odo happen to come in on the guy while he's. Uh, Trying to choke out Quark. <laughs> right. I don't know, it just yeah. that stuff seemed like it wrapped up way too quickly, and like I'm, I'm not even still sure why I should have cared about it, other than the fact that Quark had been shot. Yeah. But um, ultimately, I don't know if it really matters because the rest of it was really uh, interesting, and it was um, the scene at the end with Kira and and Odo. I think kind of dismiss any thing that I didn't like about the mystery because it because it, it's all it's all serving that last scene basically yeah yeah I want to talk about the end scene but not immediately um, mm-hmm. because I have actually I have problems with the end scene but um the I I think that the it's it's done well as a noir except for the fact that the the mystery itself is not very complicated which I yeah which I think is the right choice for this episode because you don't want to get too distracted by things that are going on um in in terms of you want it to be more of a character study about mm. these guys than you want it to be about the who done it aspect of it but it's 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 ultimately it's it's not that complicated but also Odo's Odo's investigation methods are questionable sure and uh <laughs> you know like i feel like it should be for if it's going to be simple i feel like what he's doing should be a little bit more interesting yeah uh as far as how he connects the dots but <laughs> Like having uh, what's his name, Rom? Uh, uh, yeah, Quark's brother is Rom. Yeah, close his eyes and see if he can remember the letters of the like. That was like, uh, that's the only thing that you're going on in this situation is maybe he saw the letters in the name yeah, and maybe yeah. he's rem- I don't know. That's, that stuff was a little bit as for someone who's for a character who's who's very much like a fact based, uh, um, rational. I guess know, yeah, ra- yeah, rational character. That that was a. That was a very tattered thread he was trying to he was trying to follow. There. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I found this interesting is that Michael Pillar commented after it, the greatest regret I have about the show is that I allowed Rick Berman to take out one scene that I thought really would have made it better. There was a scene where Odo, having just talked to Kira, was going to see Paula and he sees Gold Ducat coming out of her room and he kisses her goodbye, indicating that they just had a relationship. When Ducat walks away, we go around the corner. Odo was his picture. Ducat straightens it out. Odo goes to see Paula. 
If we had left that in, that would have suggested that Gold Ducat or Red Herring might have been involved in the murder or was involved in covering it up somehow. It would have been an interesting additional element for people to be wondering about during the course of the show. I don't know if that would have added a lot, but it, it certainly would have made the mystery more complicated than they've had. Mm. Or you'd, you'd have thought that Ducat... I had, I had a lot of... My issue with Ducat in this episode is that he kind of just always shows up at the end of scenes going, is this the resolution we're looking yeah. for? Um, so <laughs> I, I think adding him in a more natural way would have been a good addition to that. And it would have it would have left you wondering why Ducat is involved in this at all. Um, yeah. Where my understanding of Ducat being involved is really more straight ahead than anything. He wants Odo to be in there because he wants Odo's sort of impartiality to uncover this Bajoran uh, undercover uh, the underground operations there and he thinks that Oda right. would be the best way to do that yeah. um sorry yeah go ahead you have something oh to I say? was just gonna say yeah I like that I like that stuff um I think the problem with the mystery is that it's it's at least the the flashback stuff works because it's involving characters we know it's it's mainly Odo and Kira and them getting to know each other and then you know we know what those characters are about, even if they don't at the time know what each other is about. The modern time, the the present mystery, I don't think really works because everything involved with that is stuff that we don't actually see. Yeah, and have no relationship to. Right. So we just like met the, this woman and, and stuff like that. Yeah, we just met the woman, uh, the killer. I mean, the person who gets killed in the past. You know, that happens off screen. So. We don't even know what his deal is until the end of the story. Yep. Um, I thought for a second, I thought that the guy who shoots Quark was supposed to be her husband who was supposed to be dead or something. But right, that was yeah, obviously yeah. the case. Um, and like the guy, uh, uh, Chizzo or whatever his name is. Yep. Uh, that guy who's like the, the key in moving the case forward. You don't even see him. Like he just he gets he gets introduced and then killed both off screen. Right. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit. And I mean, you know. Obviously, the focus is on Odo and, and X, you know, and not the mystery itself. But it's it's difficult to um, get invested in something that you're not even a. They're barely even talking about, but b. You're not even seeing. So yeah, yeah. I thought that we'd. Um, it's an Odo episode. I thought it's a good place to talk about Odo here. I think that they. I think this is a really great Odo episode. It's a really great character episode for Odo. And just to start it off before I fire it over to you about you, what you thought in mm-hmm. specifics about Odo, I love the way that they justify Odo being an investigator, which is that as a shapeshifter, his whole thing is observation of others and copying right. them. And that is basically the reason that he says that he is able to be a good detective because he pays attention to the details of everything, which is fascinating. I, di- I didn't need them to do this. I would have just accepted Odo as being an investigator, but mm-hmm. the fact that they did it so naturally is wonderful, uh, in my opinion. And Odo, Rene Aubergenois does a fantastic job playing past and present Odo in this episode. Yeah, like You does. see a lot of growth between those two stages where the first time Odo walks into Ducat's office, he's almost basically a little better than a prisoner in a lot of senses. He has his head hung low. He doesn't look uh, Ducat in the eyes a lot. And he sort of grows over the course of that to not become a different person, but just become a sort of different version of the same Odo that we know. And uh, I don't know. What did you think about Odo in this one? I thought he was great. Um, my, I thought all that stuff you were talking about was great. Uh, the way he played past and present Odo was great. Um, 
the thing I really liked actually was his uh he did a lot of nonverbal acting getting across that he actually kind of likes quark yeah you know they <laughs> yeah. uh they they you know they put them together so often um uh, on the show then they're always they're always generally the highlight of the show and to see quark uh injured in that way he really plays it as though you know he on some level he he if he doesn't love him he kind of like enjoys the spar and he's like he's their friends i mean odo yeah, doesn't friends, have any yeah. friends yep odo doesn't really have any friends and so quark is probably the closest thing he has to a friend and that kind of sucks but you know a friend is a friend yep yeah <laughs> um and he plays it that way where you can tell that he he actually cares that quark is you know dead or dying yeah um and they don't really they don't really bring much attention to it i think maybe Maybe Cisco has a line about it where they kind of glance at it a little bit, but generally they don't really bring attention to it. But I think he, I think he played it really well. I think he's a great actor. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he's he's definitely one of the stronger ones. I think he's just a he's written very differently from the other security chiefs that we've seen to this point. He is um, he's probably he's the strongest one out of all. Like there's really only Worf and uh, Yar and things like that. Whoever you'd consider to be security on TOS and everything, but he's he is. Very strong in and of himself. His ethos is unique in that he's really very only bound to justice. And he never he never compromises himself this entire episode. Even though the, the sort of reveal hinges on the fact like he never lies. He doesn't lie about whether or not Kira was involved right, in that thing. Right. So he gets out of it without having to break his own mandate about what he considers to be important. But he's a very... Yeah. like. What do you think about this character? He he's basically been someone who's had to play both sides of the field for his entire life. You know, he's he started having to play between the Cardassians and the Bajorans, and now he's moved to the Federation, the Bajorans, and he never really wants to declare a side in things. Even though I guess we could argue that he does declare a side at the end of this episode, he is uniquely in the middle, I guess, for uh, in terms of Star Trek characters. Um. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a welcome change become he because he he is just sort of doing his job and surviving. Um and you can kind of get the you I've always gotten the impression from him that while he is not a bad guy obviously, he's not explicitly a good guy in that like his I mean he he is explicitly a good guy, but what I mean is like he his demeanor is generally like I'm going to choose the side that I agree with, but that doesn't mean that I like you that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I like that he he rides the line in the middle of that because it it is a you can use that to to really kind of uh, bring stuff back down to earth a little bit. Um, if from a Starfleet side, he's he can be the voice of reason for either side, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know that's always that's always a great character to have, and, and he is fairly unique among Star Trek characters in that way because usually those characters only stick around for an episode. Yes, right, yeah, and he's his placement in the uh, the Cardassian order has given him sort of a, a unique perspective on everything. The way that he meets Kira is interesting in this. Uh, the, it's sort of a, a, a definitely a different dynamic when they knew each other back then, and it takes right. us into. What I you said that you liked the ending. I love the ending, ninety nine, ninety five percent of the ending. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit of a, and it feels like very much of an executive note. 
I'm a little bit let down that Kira did not actually kill, was not sent there to assassinate the chemist guy who dies. She, she, uh, but the, she was though, wasn't she? She, she no. She says that she went oh, in. Oh, she was there to get the the list. The right? list, and he walked yeah. in on her while she was in the office and attacked her, and she killed him in self defense. I I find that's a little bit of a letdown. Do you think I'm take, making too much of a big deal out of that? Because otherwise, I love the last scene. I love the final shot uh, with Odo with his head hung low. The final line, "Will you ever trust me again?" is fantastic. Do you think I'm making too big of a deal out of it? Um, I can see why you would say that because you, you think sending her there to kill him is more of like a you know a cold-blooded thing that he has to deal with having her done or something and, like that. Or? And because I think it weakens her deception of Odo on some level. Like if she was outright lying about the fact that she had killed him, it, okay. it makes the betrayal. Her li- last line of how can you, will you ever trust me again makes more sense than, yeah, I kind of lied about this, but it wasn't really that bad. It was still not really my fault that this happened. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think ultimately... You might be splitting hairs a little bit. I, I think it, I think it still works. Um, I mean, arguably, <laughs> arguably, her killing the guy when she wasn't sent there to do it is even worse. If sure. you think about it, because yep. you know yep. she she just killed. I mean, I guess he was on the list. I guess anyway. He, he's, but, a, he's a he's a he's a Cardassian collaborator, so he's not yeah. a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think I think it works either way. I think I think maybe having her. Uh, having her go there specifically for the list makes the list less of a device um, because otherwise it's like, what the hell? How, wh- who, why is the list there? Who knows about the list? It, it makes it makes it a larger object in the in the story. I think than right. just having. Um, is it a little convenient? Probably, yeah. Um, and you know, I uh, using the list to kill the other collaborator. No, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I have a problem with it. Actually, I think okay. it's. I think it's. It's okay because, uh, you know, the killing of the other collaborators on the list is something that plays into it, uh, um, into the rest of the story anyway. So, yeah. so why 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 did you love the the final scene between them? Just because it was a good uh, culmination of the episode, or did you think there was something else going on? No, I yeah, I thought it was. Uh, um, I kind I wasn't really honestly expecting it. I was uh I was I, at the end after they solved the mystery I kind of had my uh uh my my bad Star Trek ending blinders went on. So I wasn't expecting them to actually do something really satisfying at the end. But uh <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, they pay off it, it's it's sort of it as I was saying the the present mystery is only there in service of the backstory stuff and up to that point, the backstory stuff hadn't really had an ending to it, um, and they you and that final scene allows them to really tie up that thread, but also you know move the characters forward in a in a show which is more or less episodic and doesn't really do it that often. I mean, I guess it does eventually, but yeah, um, it is a it is a character changing moment for uh, um, two characters that. In most other shows at this time, wouldn't get that moment, and yeah, uh, yeah. and it's and it's really it's it's kind of heartbreaking too because he he put his trust in her and she was lying to him all this time. So it yeah. was I, I thought it was just a great a great way to to wrap it all up. Yeah, it's very um, satisfying. Yeah, I think th- I think that that your last point is really the big thing to me. It's that this is a you know it's we'll probably move away from doing this at some point but we're still fresh enough in DS9 where comparing it to TNG makes sense on a lot of levels mm. it's not an ending that TNG could have ever done on some level because 
everything resets in TNG. Yeah. And like this is a it, this is more of a character building relationship stuff between these two who it is a big betrayal. You know, it's shown that their entire relationship because we see the beginning right until the present moment about those two has been a built on basically a weak foundation on some level. Yeah. It's, it's not a it's not a relationship crippling thing, but it's a I can't believe that that's what we've actually been uh living our or basing our relationship on up until this point. It's a big change for and Odo is disappointed that he basically it slipped past his notice for so long. You know, he, he says that she's right. a better liar than he had thought, and he's uh, he's upset with himself and everything about that. Right, and also, uh, if I mean, comparing it to uh, TNG, um, everything, every character on TNG has chain of command built into it. So, you know, if you if you had an episode like this where at the end of the episode, uh, Riker tells. Picard that he actually lied to him and did X, Y, and Z, or, or really anybody tells anybody. There's a chain of command element to it where you're going to be thinking like, well, then why does he trust him to do fucking anything? Right. You know, like the, that, and if it never comes up again, then what's the point? And he but, has to punish them on some, like on some level yeah. you need to reprimand them, yeah. Yeah, but um, Odo and Kira are not really, do they, they, there's no command relationship between them, right? Not real, maybe on the Bajoran side, but it's certainly not one that's Starfleet level. You know, they don't have the relationship that the Starfleet officers have because neither of them are Starfleet. Yeah, it, like it, it, it seemed, I assumed it was more of a kind of just a co-worker kind of relationship than a chain of command kind of relationship. Yeah, yeah, that's probably, that's possibly true too. And that, I think that allows you to do this stuff a little bit easier because their interactions are not going to be based on... um not going to be based on orders and trusting people to follow them and and uh, respecting uh, authority and all that kind of stuff as much as some of the other characters might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, directorial style of this one. Uh, I think we have a comment coming up later on that kind of touches on this, but it's the. I think it's a well directed episode, um, and I don't know if this is a Patreon comment, but I'll say it now and then we can reference later someone i think kyle listener kyle had said that this episode reminds him of yesterday's enterprise in that it feels like an episode where everyone was kind of like this is good we should try very hard on this one um like the there's a little things that you hardly ever see in star trek episodes when they cut between the past and the present right Mm-hmm. They play off similar images, but they're totally in different contexts when they cut right. between them. So in one, we get a you never get useless uh, shots like this because they always are running for time and they snip off these little uh, dramatic flourishes. We get a shot of present day little kids are running around the, the promenade and they sort of run around an alien and they're chasing and playing with each other. Mm-hmm. And you cut back later, two kids who are identical to them are waiting for their father to come out of the Cardassian mining uh, program. And they're like mm-hmm. waiting behind the fence. There's another one where uh, Quark and Dukat and Odo uh, are laughing sinisterly because they are, they've sort of uh, they've plotted things to this point in Quark's bar. They're laughing very like evilly and Odo isn't joining in on it. And it cuts to people actually enjoying themselves at Quark's bar in the present, like they're having a good time. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's laughter in different circumstances. And it's just it's really nice directing and editing to cut between those things as a bridge. You know, it's not... It's not super advanced stuff, but it's like uh, it's an artistic level that you never really see in Star Trek episodes. So I appreciated it. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. Um, it looked really good. Uh, I, I thought the, the the visual style between the two time periods was uh, 
fairly subtle. I mean, it was noticeable, but it wasn't as it wasn't like they slapped a really heavy filter on it. They just kind of like dulled it down a bit. I like Odo's uh, uh, civilian clothing too, which is basically yeah. a trench coat. Like he doesn't—he's not wearing the Picard and the Captain's Holiday like open flowery shirt or whatever. <laughs> uh, he's wearing—he's t- wearing something appropriate. I'll tell you though, if he—I'm going to say this right now. How many seasons is does this show go for? Seven. If I do seven seasons worth of DS9, and I never get to see the Cardassian neck trick, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> he knocks their socks off. They—they they love it. Which, what's your? Did you have a problem? I noticed some people seem to have a, a sort of question about what Odo's role is when he starts off this episode. Did you have a, any concerns about like what Odo's status would be on the station or anything like that in the past? I'm talking about. Um, not really. It was a little bit unclear, I thought, uh, but I felt like they covered it up or at least kind of gave you enough to kind of maybe piece it together yourself. That yeah. they didn't really need to go into it because they talk about him like he was some sort of a sideshow attraction, basically. Yes. Who then escaped and ended up? I don't know how he ended up on the on the, the station, but I get, uh, I get the impression that his his he was being studied by Bajoran scientists who were trying to eagerly they were eager to please the Cardassians, so they had yeah. him do parlor tricks. Yeah. My intent, my understanding is that Odo was released by the Bajoran doctor, and this is like he he wanted to learn to go out into the real world, basically. Uh, oh, okay. I, I wasn't sure if he was released or if he had escaped because yeah, the way I, that I was the way I was reading that scene with him and Ducat was more was kind of like the uh, uh, you know we uh, I just I just I just watched the proposition so it's fresh in my mind but it's like the thing where you catch the catch the outlaw and then you say well you know I could send you to jail but if you go kill your brother then oh sure I won't send you to jail so like that kind of thing like you know. It, they they pull him aside and they're like we know what I know what you are, we could very easily send you back to the lab. But if you you know, so it probably it would behoove you to work with us. That kind yes, of thing. yeah, and it gives Odo a reason beyond his own sort of ethics to continue yeah. on with the investigation. And it was and it wasn't that wasn't like a driving force of the story. So I thought it was fine because okay. you know that stuff. If you put too much weight in that stuff, if it's not the center of your story, then it gets just kind of, makes everything kind of muddy. But yeah, and I, I think it I think it would distort. Odo's drive maybe a little bit too much if you hammer it too much here because it's more about his internal understanding of what the right yeah. thing to do is um yeah. than an external force acting on him. Yeah. And I yeah. think that uh I think it's a really, really strong episode. But we'll take a break. We'll play an audio clip. I'm gonna read the patron thoughts and then me and Clay will give our final thoughts on necessary evil. A colleague of mine was given the job of sabotaging the ore processor. That trick was my responsibility. You were here to execute him. No. I was here to find the list. The names of the Bajorans who were selling us out. We'd been informed that Vatric was our direct link to Dukat. That must have been why Dukat chose me to investigate. He had to stay as far away from this incident as he could so as not to endanger his network of Bajoran sympathizers. Obviously, I never found the list. But that's what I was looking for in his shop when Patrick walked in on me. I didn't have a choice. I misjudged you, Major. You were a better liar than I gave you credit for. You were working for the Cardassians. I haven't been for more than a year. You've had all that time to tell me the truth. I tried to tell you the truth a hundred times. What you think of me 
matters a lot. I was afraid. That it might affect our friendship. Maybe it doesn't have to. Will you ever be able to trust me in the same way again? All right, everybody. So, time for final thoughts and patron thoughts about Necessary Evil. We'll start with Patreon. If you guys support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can leave thoughts about upcoming episodes, and we read them on the podcast and react to them. So, talking about Necessary Evil, Holly McLaughlin writes, Odo starring in a sort of murder mystery slash film noir style detective story is always good value. No disagreements there. Um, let's see here. Uh, sorry, I should have cut these out. Zam Nuclear Vessel says, Necessary Evil, my favorite episode of the entire series. The story is compelling, pulpy, powerful, in both testing and confirming Odo and Kira's friendship. But the visual style stands out too, going back and forth between Tarek Noor and DS9 in a much more assured and creative way than you usually find in other 90s Trek. A story you couldn't do any other Trek show done really well. Like yesterday's Enterprise for TNG, it's a very untypical episode that shows how the series is going to improve from here. I agree with that. Um, I don't. I, I. I think we sort of discussed all of that stuff too, but I think that it's a. It is a good indicator of the show sort of circling around on what it actually wants to do. Necessary evil from Joint Mango. Better than things past. Well, we'll have to come back to that when we get to things past. And oh, that's an episode, not just a general comment on the series. At this <laughs> point. Yeah, or as yeah, a statement of your personal life and things like that. Uh, no, that's an episode coming up, which is kind of a uh, companion to this one. Let's see here. Uh, do, 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 necessary evil. Stephen Cobb. This is it. This is the kind of thing that DS, DS9 does so, so well. Morality is gray. Deep history into the show. A reminder that there was a whole world on DS9 before the Federation came along. It gives such depth to the universe of the show. It gives context to the whole rest of the show and how the same people orbit around each other and the station. Right? This is a this is the advantage of DS9 being in one place. Right? This this kind of story doesn't work on TNG because right. going to this planet and having a flashback built around this planet would feel way too rushed and they would have to explain far too much. And the advantage of staying in one place is that you can tell stories like this where you see the evolution of the characters. Uh, let's see here. Do, do, do. I should really have cut these out. I will cut these out in the future because this is just too much. <laughs> Matthew Ross writes, Necessary evil. I love the statement about the need for records. I am always amused about the paperless office and how electronic storage would be wonderful if it was a nice change showing the Cardassian way of doing things. A lack of color and set of dark grays and cool blues. One could say that the crowded, dirty nature is similar to LaGuardia. On the next murder, he shapeshifted, though. Still not clear as to why Odo was on the station in the first instance. If it was a scientific oddity, you would think he would be back on the planet Pajor to be studied. Yeah, I think that uh, we got we got around that as well. Thank you, Matthew and Ross. And then, Necessary Evil. Last comment. Kyle Barrett. An episode that's O'Brien's an O'Brien appearance away from perfection. Did you notice the lack of O'Brien, Clay? Uh, well, it was so good that I didn't even notice he wasn't there. Was he not? I thought is he not there in like the background somewhere? No, no he's, maybe he's not. not in this one. Him and Sirak Lofton, who plays Jake, are not in this episode. Uh, but Kyle says an episode that's an O'Brien appearance away from perfection. Well, maybe not perfection, but there's there are some issues. The shady guy returning to finish Quark off is a bit too convenient. 
There you go, Clay. There's your point. But still, it's an exceptional episode. Peter Allen Fields proves he's one of the best Star Trek writers of all time. And his work on Columbo helps him out here with a great detective story that not only gives us background on the station's past, but also heaps of character development. It feels like yes. Also, also explains Odo's wonky eye. Yep. There's actually a couple uh, Columbo quotes in this. He says one more thing when he's walking out of the room. Nice. uh, Which is a Columbo callback. Uh, it feels like yesterday's Enterprise from TNG, where you get the sense everyone involved, from the director to the set dressers, have put in extra effort to make the episode as good as it can possibly be. The only thing I'm not too keen on is the title. Considering the film noir influences, I'm surprised it wasn't called The Maltese Ferengi or The Sunset Promenade. I know that's tongue-in-cheek, but I like Necessary Evil. I think that's a good title. Um, yeah, that's it. Clay, what are you going to give for final thoughts? Do you have any uh, wrap-up opinions about this? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think this was um, really good. Uh... Yeah, I think I think this is a good step towards making DS9 its own thing because it was it, it 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 used like we were saying at, um about some of the other previous episodes where they're really starting to get it. They're using stuff that is uh uniquely DS9 to tell good stories instead of just sort of um crutching on general generic Star Trek tropes or stuff that would have been uh uh uh, do easily doable in, in uh, TNG, and uh, I also like that they do it. They don't they don't have a guest star in it either. Like no, it seems like really, all yeah. the, all the big ones we've seen up to this point, or at least that I can remember, have like a like a prominent guest actor. Yeah, and this one was all regulars. Uh, I mean, aside from Goldacott, but he's basically a regular at this point anyway. So yeah, recurring recurring guest star. What did you think yeah. of Ducat? Did you have any thoughts? We didn't talk about him at this point. No, I like him. Um, you know, the more I see him, the more I like him. He's a little he could. He's arguably a little bit arch, but uh, I think he's arch in a like a uh, useful way. Yeah, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I like him. He he continues to be a, a, a pleasant surprise anytime he shows up. Yeah, it's it's a good performance. Um, I I think they do a good job of showing the kind of station that he was running. Obviously, it wasn't really even a station. It's just like a mining thing with the the electric barbed wire fences and the the way that he goes about his business and stuff like that. And yeah. he obviously will recur, but he's a very he's an important antagonist for the remainder of the series. And uh, I will say, you know, I think this episode goes to show you um, how important it is, or how beneficial it is to have these recurring characters that you can use across time periods yeah or in these situations because you know traditionally you probably don't have him come back for this like it would be very easy for for that character to be any cardassian um but having it be specifically galdicott it, it really makes the time period that much more uh real to the story that you've been told up to this point in the show yeah um it 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 puts a face on the cardassian leadership of the of the of the of uh d of ds9 you know back when that was happening so i that stuff always that stuff always helps when you can when you can tie those things together and and make it make it feel like it's a coherent story it really it really amps up the uh um how much that the story uh, i'm losing my train of thought you know what i mean well you also don't have to you don't have to do any backstory explanation for him you know yes. you don't have you yeah. don't have to waste time being like i am the commander of this station and these are the things that i believe and uh, this is my general outlook on life we we know enough about the story that if you've been watching the show you don't need to be filled in on what's going on 
yeah. in any sense. And I think that that works really well here. Um, yeah, I'm going to give this one a five. I think it's a very, very strong episode of the show. Uh, it's not perfect. I would have fixed the ending scene a little bit, uh, or I would have had Kira's uh, admittance be a little bit more of a direct violation of Odo's trust in her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I think it's really strong. Rene Abajonois is excellent. I love the Odo character. Um, he is he's very interesting to me. His I love how they flesh out his backstory, being a, the shapeshifter aspect of his life, and how that all piles into everything. I love the way it looks. I love the playing with the the uh, the five years ago on DS Nine. This is what things were like when it was Tarek Nor. I, I think it just works really well. It's a very it's a very emotionally satisfying episode too. On some level, it's, it uh, it works well. Everything you feel like you watched a complete story in that time, and and as well as the fact that it's going to do linger in the background and everything like that so five out of five for me i don't i don't think you gave it a rating clay do you want to give it a number rating uh i'd give it a four four out of five docking at a point for lack of cardassian neck thing yeah <laughs> the, the, the neck trick you know which... uh, the other the other thing uh about having gul Dukat in there which is nice is uh the first scene with with him and odo odo does not look him in the eye and that whole, you know, like we were saying, that that goes a long way to to really establish what his character was. And then later on, he's staring him down hard. Yeah. So it's 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 just another nice piece of uh, um, uh, symmetry in in the time in in the circumstance change and the time change, which is yeah, it's 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 a really good episode. Yeah, and you've mentioned before on duet episodes how you actually like the because Odo and Ducat have had a few interactions to this point. Yeah. Um, and they've always been. In the past references, they've always been on equal footing. Odo has no problem talking to Dukat in that right. kind of voice, and like it just shows that development really nicely, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. So, guys, thank you very much. It's one of my favorite episodes of the second season. It's Necessary Evil. I know someone had tweeted at you, Clay, that uh, I don't know if they thought you were hesitant on DS9, but they were just saying, wait till you get to Necessary Evil. It's the episode that flipped things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, would you, would you, you would understand that sentiment, or would you... Um, did you Guys, think? It, did... I, I think this show fucking sucks, and I can't <laughs> wait to not watch it anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm counting the days for 2019 when I can just, just like bathe in more Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> no, I mean it's, it, it's kind, kind of a, you know, if you listen to the show, you, if you've listened to the the Discovery reviews, we've been shitting on that pretty good, and I, I hope, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that this show is getting better. Um, because you know they're finding their footing, they're figuring it out, they're they're moving forward, which is great. I mean, it's 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 what happens with every Star Trek show, basically, except for the original. The original kind of was the same thing for three seasons. Um, I w- yeah, I'd, I'd argue the original got got worse. The, the original yeah, was the true. only yeah. the original was the only <laughs> one that started gangbusters and got worse over the course of it. That's why if you're recommending it to somebody else, you should say watch the th- tell them the third season is actually the first season. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I, I feel like, so I'm not surprised that this is getting better. I'm enjoying it. It's, it is, I am finding a, I am, f- now that I'm actually watching it, I am finding it to be more than what I thought it was, which was just all of the diplomacy episodes of TNG, which I always hated yeah. writ, writ large. Um, I'm finding, I, I'm finding, sorry, I'll let you, but I'm finding, even someone who's seen a lot of these episodes, I'm finding the further we get into it, it's a very different show. From team, like it's it's fundamentally a different thing, which makes yeah. it interesting to me. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I uh, uh, the last week or so, 
um, I had I had trouble sleeping. And usually usually Star Trek is my go to 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 knock me out if I'm having the engine noise, sleeping. the white noise of the engine room. Yeah. Yeah, and also because like so much of it is like very tempered talking. Yeah, diplomacy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I just threw on a random episode of DS9, assuming like, oh, I'm going to be out in 30 seconds with this. And I just, I I was watching it. I couldn't not, I just, I think I'm, I'm at the point where I'm invested in the characters and I know them. So it was, uh, even even if it wasn't the most engaging thing, which if I if I remember correctly, I don't think it was. Sure. Uh, I think it was, uh, the episode was, uh, I think it might have been Melora. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. People, it wasn't great. Yeah, M- Melora is a a very very. Ba- I'm sure people people. I was waiting with bated breath for, for you to say Melora because Melora Melora is not a good episode. So that's yeah. interesting that you would say that. Yeah. And I I found myself thinking like I I'm aware that this is not a good episode, but like I know the characters at this point, so I'm like kind of interested in what's going on. Um, and you know, to circle back to what I was saying about Discovery, I am looking forward to Discovery being. another in a line of star trek shows where the first season kind of sucks yep yep. um and so yeah i'm not surprised this is getting better and you know i hold out hope for discovery yes yes and we'll we'll touch on that more with uh kyle from trek species when he comes on to be fair though i i don't know if i'm at the point yet with this where i would go out of my way to watch the ones i haven't seen yet sure um i might get there like I feel like in TNG, I'm so familiar with the characters and so familiar with the world that I could throw any episode, ep- any episode on and, and have it like hit that, you know, button for me. Yeah. This, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm, I'm still pleasantly surprised when it's good. And I'm pleasantly surprised that I am invested in most of the characters, uh, Dax notwithstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm there yet. I think I pr- probably will be eventually. But yes, DS9 is follows standard suit. Uh, season three is when the show becomes yep. what the show is. Uh, so we have to get through S- season two. So far, is really a better version of season one in that it is it's realized what the stories it can tell well are, and the stories it doesn't tell well, it kind of avoids them on some yep. level. But it, yep. it it feels very much like a an evolution of season one, but a very positive evolution of season one, I guess would be yeah, the way to describe it. All right, guys, thank you very much. You can check out the social media links. They'll be in the video description of the podcast blurb. You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show there, you get extra stuff, extra podcasts. And then if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to give any money whatsoever, the uh, thing that would be greatly appreciated, if you go to iTunes and give us a rating and a little sentence that talks about your feelings about the show, uh, if you just leave a little sentence or a comment and then a uh, a star rating, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, Outside of that, I think we're done. Clay, anything to talk about? What's our non sequitur ending here? Do you have one? Uh yeah, I so I've been on a bit of a western kick lately. I've been I've been watching more of the movies I own now that I have a uh, DVD reading device next to my workspace, which I didn't have before. Um, and uh, I really, I I used to really like the movie Young Guns, and I haven't watched it in a long time, so I wanted to put that on, and uh, my computer slash DVD player just spit it out at me. Sure. So I was wondering if maybe that was an indication of the quality of that movie, and I just, it's been a while since I've seen it, and maybe it doesn't hold up. <laughs> For my uh, non sequitur, I don't really, I don't really have anything good. I've sort of been caught off guard here. Um, we we had a, a recent snowstorm, 
And I think a thing about getting older is like I looked at the snowstorm and it wasn't enough to snowblow. And we, we bought a snowblower this year and I was upset that I didn't have enough snow to go out there and snowblow. And I just have to wait for it to melt like a, like some kind of <laughs> some, some kind of uh, Hawaiian islander or something looking at it at a snowfall being unable oh, to. I'm sure. That's like the sure sign that I that I'm getting older is is the apply. I'm I'm like excited about appliances now. Yeah, like I yep. got a I got a toaster oven for Christmas and it was the best day of my life. <laughs> you, you put not the little good, not as good as the year I got a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. That was like I got like a whole bunch of cool stuff and a vacuum cleaner and I could not wait to put the vacuum cleaner together. Every every t- we have a vacuum cleaner here at the house and every time I use it I'm just like Amy, we bought the perfect sized vacuum cleaner. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like it's like it's not too big, it's not too small, it gets the job done. I'm very environmentally enamored with it. But anyway, guys, does it does it work well cuz there's nothing more frustrating than a vacuum cleaner that sucks. It works okay. If it, yeah. it it can't like if it's a very heavy raisin, it can't pick it up. But other than, <laughs> other than that, I think it works pretty well. Um, yeah, guys, I, I got ours around the time we got a dog, so it was just like I needed something that was industrial strength, or yeah, get the this dog house hair. was just yeah, it was going to turn into a, a, a shithole. Yeah, yeah. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back. we'll be back next week with our no new show, Vacuum Cleaner Talk. <laughs> with with that car talk, by Dyson. <laughs> that car talk NPR show, except based on vacuum cleaners. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We will see you next time. <laughs>